The Infernal Bodyguard Written by Santalatron Read by Literarian Chapter 26 Happily Ever After Part 2 Crowley woke up on Christmas morning to the smell of festive spices and the sound of carols playing through the house's sound system. For a moment, he thought he was still asleep, but the press of a full bladder removed that doubt fairly quickly. He shuffled and wriggled his way out of the centre of the bed and swung his legs over the edge to sit up. Blinking his eyes open and stretching, he stopped abruptly when his brain caught up with what his eyes had seen draped over the chair in front of him. It was bright, it was garish, it was knitted, and it was hideous. It was also his size, and as Crowley ventured closer to the offending jumper, he began to realize just how offensive it truly was. He was pretty sure none of the carols filtering up from downstairs mentioned Santa doing that. Underneath it, there seemed to be a large sock. No, wait, that was... And Crowley took a deep, slow breath. The bastard had done him a stocking of all things. As he picked it up to look at and perhaps engage in a bit of sprotting, the bastard in question walked quietly up behind Crowley and slipped his arms around his waist. <laughs> Checking for coal? Alistair chuckled. Merry Christmas, darling. Come on, coffee's on downstairs. Gimme a minute and I'll be down, yeah? Crowley replied, and Alistair slipped away with a parting kiss to his shoulder. Crowley stared at the stocking for a few minutes more before setting it carefully aside to don the atrocious Christmas jumper. He pulled on some comfy black leggings, dealt with his bladder, and then headed downstairs, swinging the stocking as he went. Alistair looked up as a large parcel wrapped in glittery paper was deposited in his lap. The living room had been festooned with bright, garish decorations and was almost lost to the enormous tree in the corner. It was a hodgepodge of baubles and lights, and the pine smell was mixing with the wood smoke of the log burner wonderfully. Alistair, it turned out, had decades worth of Christmas decorations that didn't particularly match, but he loved them all, so up they all went. Crowley's one contribution was the angel at the top of the tree that he'd made to look like Alistair. It was holding a flaming pen, and he was very proud of it. Glittery paper, dear? Really? Alistair said with a well-practiced sigh. You are aware you live here too? You can't complain about any glitter you find for the next few months at least. Just open it, Crowley said, still clutching his stocking and eyeing the pile under the tree warily. 
It was considerably bigger than the last time he looked, and he was starting to feel like maybe he should have bought more. They're not all for you, Alistair said as he unpicked the tape holding the paper together. So you can put that worrying face away. Oh! Alistair gasped as he pulled the paper back. Oh, Crowley! Oh, dearest, this is... These are... Oh, good Lord, first editions as well! Oh, my love, you really shouldn't have! He gushed as he held up the first of the series of original Paddington books that were in the parcel. Nonsense, Angel. I know you like Winnie the Turd and couldn't see these anywhere. You know you want them. I know you want them. Just take them without a fuss, will you? Crowley grumbled. Alistair gave him the same look he gave him every time he mangled poor Winnie's rather unfortunate name. On one condition, dearest... Alistair said, and Crowley narrowed his eyes at him. He'd learned that conditions could be dangerous and required scrutiny when they involved a writer. Especially if he was a bit of a bastard. Oh? he asked. Read them to me? With all the voices, of course. As new Christmas traditions go, Crowley thought... It could be a lot worse. Three months later. Alistair was worried. Crowley had grown increasingly distant lately. They had been splitting their time between Soho and Falking, while Alistair continued with the signing events and appearances Harriet lined up for him, and Crowley got the new house and garden up and running. Alistair thought it had been working. But Crowley had stopped responding to texts like he used to, and often didn't answer the phone, or when he did, he was very short and to the point. At first, Alistair thought perhaps Crowley was just busy, then he thought it was something he'd done, but Crowley was as loving and attentive as ever when they were together, he just seemed to be closing himself off, and the slightest thing sent him withdrawing into his shell. One weekend, with Crowley up in London, Alistair had snapped at him over something silly, and Crowley had fallen over himself to gain forgiveness, practically begging. Alistair had been taken aback at his disproportionate response, and ended up spending the evening set under a very clingy and very quiet shadow of the usually vibrant man he loved. Later that night, it got worse, however. Alistair was woken by thrashing arms and muffled cries. Then, all of a sudden, Crowley threw himself out of the bed, falling to the floor in a crash of flailing limbs and tangled duvet. Alistair sat up in alarm as it all went quiet. Then he heard a sob. He leaned over the side of the bed, found Crowley's shoulder 
and placed a hand on it. Darling, are you... Crowley flinched at the touch and spun his head around to see Alistair's face leaning over the edge of the mattress, his sleep-muddled curls gently backlit and giving him that halo that Crowley knew would forever take his breath away. He frantically fought his way out of the tangled duvet, scrambled back onto the bed and threw himself into Alistair's lap, wrapping arms and legs around him and holding on for dear life his chin on Alistair's shoulder. Alistair wrapped his arms around him, held him with that gentle pressure that was just slightly more than a hug that seemed to calm him and waited. After a couple more sobs and an array of sniffles, Crowley finally spoke. You're... you're still here, he mumbled, his voice cracked and raw. Whatever Alistair had been expecting, it wasn't that. Of course, Crowley. Darling, wherever else would I be? He murmured back, his voice pitched low and soothing. Thought I... you were... dreamt I lost you. Thought you... you left, he mumbled. Alistair tightened one arm to tip them over briefly so he could recover the duvet from halfway off the bed and wrap it around them both. And why would I want to leave when I have everything I want right here? Alistair said, stroking the back of Crowley's neck. Cause, cause it's too good. You're too good. Doesn't last. Crowley mumbled into his shoulder again, sounding less sure as the last drags of the sleep he'd been so rudely torn from dropped away. Stuff this good never happens to me. I always get left behind eventually. Crowley curled tighter around Alistair. Crowley, if you recall, I was the one who came after you. Repeatedly, if I'm going to be honest. And my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. Alistair had a very good idea of where this fear came from, and suddenly his recent behavior made a lot more sense. Yeah, but you'll get fed up with me in the end. Bored with me, my... Crowley mumbled so quietly Alistair barely heard him. Crowley was shaking slightly, a fragile tremble of a man that had no reason to be so, and Alistair knew it. Crowley, how many times have I read Hamlet? Or Oscar Wilde? Or Wodehouse? Crowley peeled himself away slightly and looked at Alistair in confusion. What? Loads? Oh, there you are. Alistair smiled. A soft, fond expression that was just for Crowley as he gently tucked one of his stray curls behind his ear before turning serious again. Now, my love, 
Does that strike you as the behavior of someone who gets bored easily? Crowley just looked at him with something like the start of hope in his eyes. I can't pretend I won't ever get fed up with you. We're both human. But if you think that's going to be enough to get rid of me, then you have grievously underestimated how stubborn I can be when it comes to things I like. Why do you think I gave up on the bookshop? Crowley was still silent, amber eyes wide and looking at him in the glow of the streetlights outside, his bottom lip held between his teeth, as if it might get all wobbly if he let it go. Dearest, I love you. There are many things I love you because of, and a few that I love you in spite of, and sometimes they're somehow the same blasted thing because you're impossible, and that's what love is. Crowley looked like he might cry, but Alistair wasn't done. I spent weeks waiting for us to be able to be together. I sat in a hospital room for seven days straight, hoping for you to wake up so I could tell you I love you. I spent a year thinking you hated me, only to find out it was a lie, and I am not giving up on you now I finally got you. I'm staying, you hear? You won't push me away. Crowley couldn't handle the level of honesty on Alistair's face. He may be highly skilled with anything with a sharp edge, but he was rubbish with emotions, and this was too much for him to process. Especially in the middle of the night. He pulled a silly face. Should have guessed you'd be stubborn about it, he teased. Alistair's relieved chuckle rumbled deep in his chest where they were pressed together. Low and reassuring, it went a long way to patching up the cracks that had been split open recently. Oh dear, did I get too serious again? Alistair grinned. Well, if I can blame stubbornness, what's your excuse for not getting bored with me, huh? Easy, you're warm. I get cold a lot, Crowley said with a smile as he leaned forward and kissed him, a fierce press of lips in search of closeness. I love you, Crowley, always. But please talk to me, my love. Keep talking to me. I'll not have you going off in your head again. Lord knows I do enough of that for both of us. Now. Little spoon? Alistair offered. Little spoon. Crowley nodded, untangling himself as they lay down and sorted the duvet out again. And as Crowley lay there, Alistair draped over his back, warm and comforting, his reassuring words ringing in Crowley's ear, he felt the fear and doubt recede. It would be back, but it was fast running out of arguments that he didn't have answers for, his angel's voice in his head beating it back at every turn.
one month later. Crowley was terrified of meeting Alistair's parents when they came down for Alistair's birthday, but it turned out he knew quite a lot about apple trees, thanks to the one in the garden, so they bonded over a mutual love of growing. Alistair's dad was broad, much like Alistair, with truly white hair framing his cheerful face. It became obvious that Alistair's strength ran in the family, and Crowley would have thought the crushing handshake a deliberate attempt to assert authority were it not for the fact that Alistair's dad was clearly also where Alistair's delight in the world came from. The man couldn't have had a malicious thought if he tried. He told Crowley he was welcome on the orchards at any time, and Crowley promised to come down for harvest and see how it all worked. He was promptly told that that was an excellent idea, seeing as he'd likely be running it one day, judging by Alistair's disinterest and the knowledge he'd already demonstrated. Alistair's mum was a tiny slip of a thing, but Crowley could immediately see exactly where Alistair got that steely determination from. She may have looked meek, but somewhere behind her piercing blue eyes there was a force greater than all three men put together. Oh, and Alistair had her smile. She took one look at the way Crowley looked at her boy and immediately decided she would shower him with all the motherly love he had missed out on. Crowley taught her how to throw a knife with devastating accuracy, then spent weeks second-guessing that decision until Alistair informed him that if his mother decided she didn't like him, that a projectile blade was the least of his worries. A little over a year later. They'd been splitting their time between Sussex and London fairly successfully. Alistair wrote more down in the quiet countryside, and Crowley held reskilling courses in the capital for people exiting the forces. The flat in Mayfair was sold for an exorbitant amount of money, which Crowley used to buy and fit out a small warehouse in the Docklands for the courses. Crowley built on his good reputation and contacts, and soon his courses had waiting lists. Pepper was initially rankled that she didn't qualify for them, until Crowley pointed out that the advantage of setting the rules meant he could break them whenever he felt like it. After a while, she started assisting him in his classes, in a game they affectionately called Rescue the Maiden. An encounter with Pepper tended to knock the more cocky squaddies down a peg or two. She still teased Crowley about being a spy. Mary and Harriet had worked hard to keep Alistair going. Mary had been privately worried that Crowley would prove too much of a distraction, but it turned out that Alistair was just as good at channeling joy as he was grief, and he was well on his way to putting out another bestseller with the help of his ferocious hurricane of a muse.
Newtant Anathema were a solid twosome, and she moved out to live with him, as he'd flatly refused to live under the same roof as Crowley, even though it was made clear that they were both welcome at any time. Crowley had even been on his best behaviour to make him feel welcome. At least when Alistair and Anathema were looking. Tracy decided it was time to retire and had moved out to live with Shadwell on the Essex coast for some reason unfathomable to the others, but she taught Crowley all her culinary tricks before she left and he turned out to be rather masterful in the kitchen. Alistair loved to watch him cook as he whizzed around the kitchen with such grace and ease, albeit also with a mess that looked, to the untrained eye, like total chaos. Crowley had a habit of bringing him jars to open, and Alistair particularly loved Crowley's penchant for feeding him tidbits as he cooked, which he appreciated with the gusto they deserved. Some dinners may have been burned in the process. The garden in London finally saw some attention as Crowley got stuck in as soon as the weather had warmed up. A little bit of love and a lot of discipline and he had it looking like a proper paradise in no time. Between the coaching, the cooking and both gardens, Crowley didn't have time to feel restless and he loved it. Crowley continued growing out his hair. Partly out of subversive curiosity, but mostly because he loved the way Alistair would absent-mindedly run his fingers through it while he was reading in the evenings. Anathema gave him a crash course on the merits of silicone-free hair care, as well as the difference between a French plait and a Dutch plait. Alistair got used to carrying spare hair ties. All in all, Alistair and Crowley were stupendously happy, spending their days just enjoying each other's company while they flitted between their Sussex boat hole and their Soho residence. Crowley took great pleasure in driving the Bentley whenever possible, and Pepper didn't mind in the least, having taken wholeheartedly to the little Minnie. Her main role these days was to watch the Soho house when they were in Sussex, and to pass the time, she enrolled on a sociology course. One sunny summer's day, Alistair was in the library down in Sussex, he had been right, it was a wonderful space, reshelving some books when Dog came bounding in and dropped something at his feet, looking up at him expectantly as he wagged his tail. Doc, you bastard mongrel, get back here, ah! Crowley came bursting through the door and froze as Alistair bent down to pick up the dropped object. It was a small box, much like the one that Crowley had given Alistair his winged cufflings in oh so long ago, although this one was rather more... square. Alistair opened it out of curiosity and gasped at the ring nestled inside. It was a narrow gold band with five emerald-cut, coloured gems set flush into the band. 
simple, elegant. He looked up at Crowley, who was scowling at Doc from the doorway, love and hope and nerves fighting for control of his features. His clear agitation left him pacing back and forth just inside the room, arms waving as he spoke. Well, I... Ah, fuck it. This is not what I had intended, but the little git here grabbed hold of the box and ran up here before I could stop him. I did have a great plan, but I guess we're just winging it now, eh? Thanks for that, partner. He looked rather pointedly at Dog, then up at Alistair. Alistair, I love you. So much. I've not had a lot of constant in my life until I met you. I've already lost you twice, and I really don't want to go for the hat trick, so... Crowley paused in his pacing and turned to Alistair. Will you be my constant? Uh, that is... Oh, fuck's sake. He dragged his hands down his face before spreading them wide with a shrug. Marry me? When Alistair didn't respond straight away, Crowley's already jangled nerves went into overdrive. He was about to try and pass it off as a joke when Alistair let out a little laugh, bent down to the attentive dog, pulled something out of his pocket and popped it into dog's waiting jaws. There you go. You know what to do. Alistair told Dog, who promptly turned, trotted over to Crowley and sat by his feet, looking up at him with his best begging eyes. Not quite the way I had planned it either, my love, although you can't blame Dog, because he's only doing exactly what I've been spending rather a lot of time teaching him to do. But, as you say, we're just winging it now. Alistair smiled as Crowley bent down and removed a suspiciously identical box from Dog's mouth. Crowley straightened up, opened it, and burst out into relieved laughter. Inside was a black metal band engraved with a snake holding a red cabochon in its mouth. Where the stone caught the light, it seemed as if it contained a star, the six rays spreading through the stone. Crowley looked up at Alistair with a wonderfully soppy expression that he would never admit to being capable of. Just as you said, dearest, although I'd had rather too much constant until you came barreling into my life and turned it rather gloriously upside down. I had to live with the thought that I'd lost you once as well, and I have no intention of repeating the experience. Apart from the odd occasion when you're being particularly insufferable, of course, but that's why I kept the cufflinks. He grinned at Crowley, who was still gazing at him. So, my dearest Crowley, I counter your proposal with my own. Will you keep my life as interesting as possible? And will you marry me? Dog sat there, 
looking from one to the other where they stood on opposite sides of the room. This was usually the point where he got a treat, but neither of them seemed to have remembered. When a wine didn't get their attention, he trotted off in search of someone who appreciated a well-executed trick. Paxton was usually a safe bet. Alistair's smile began to falter as Crowley didn't move. Oh, for heaven's sake, come here, you ridiculous fool, he snapped. Come and put this blessed thing on me. Crowley sprang to life and crossed the room in a few long strides. He took the ring box from Alistair's hands and dropped to one knee before him. Yes, yes, you've already done this bit, Alistair said, the excitement getting the better of him. Patience, Angel, I'm going to do this properly. Now, Alistair Zirafel, will you... Oh, of course I will, you preposterous idiots! Alistair was nearly vibrating with excitement, his left hand held out in anticipation. The smile on his face was so unbelievably radiant that Crowley almost couldn't look at it. He couldn't believe just how much his life had changed in the three years since he first met this ridiculous, fussy angel, and as he slid the ring onto his finger, he was thankful for every single day of them. Apart from the one where he got shot and nearly died, of course, he could take or leave that one. But all the rest? Certainly. What? Alistair asked wearily, looking at his new fiancé, who was still grinning at him from one knee and holding his hand. You've got that look. What have you done? The grin on Crowley's face only widened. Do you like the stones? He asked far too casually. Alistair looked. There were five stones. Pale blue, deepest black, blood red, vibrant green and a milky white. He looked up at Crowley, none the wiser and with one eyebrow raised. Aquamarine, Neptunite, Garnet, Emerald, and Lucid. After a moment's thought, as he looked at the stones, Alistair's face broke into an expression overflowing with affection. A-N-G-E-L, he sighed. Do you like it? Crowley asked, still on one knee, looking up at him with tentative hope in his eyes. We can change it if you don't like it. I mean, some of those stones were bloody hard to source, but I'd rather you liked it. Oh, Crowley, it's... it's perfect. It's beautiful. It's... oh, I don't even know what to say. Alistair joined Crowley on his knees and pulled him in for a joyful kiss, grabbing the other ring box as he did so. He pulled back, 
caught Crowley's left hand and pushed the black ring triumphantly onto his finger. Oi, I haven't said yes yet, Crowley protested. Were you planning on saying no? Alistair gave him a dubious look. Well, no. I mean, yes, I... Uh, of course I was going to say yes, you bastard. Crowley went dramatically limp in Alistair's arms, letting his arms and head drop back, so Alistair took the opportunity to press soft kisses up his gloriously long neck. Because he could. Whenever he wanted. And it turned out he wanted to a lot. I told you I'd make you mine, Alistair murmured into his neck. Crowley whined. Again. With the trousers. Every damn time. Suddenly, Alistair stopped in his advances, nearly dropping Crowley. Oh, good lord, you realise I cannot take your name? What? That's what you worry about? Jesus, Angel, it's just a name, and I never expected you to change yours anyway. Why does it matter? Well, there's already an author by the name of Alistair Crowley for a start, and I'd really rather not be associated with him. Really? What did he do? Use too many commas? Can we get back to what we were doing? Of course, darling. Look him up later. My apologies. Now, where were we? Alistair said, pulling Crowley back in again. The announcement was met with joy and at least one finally. Pepper turned out to be an excellent best woman for Crowley, taking him and where renewed a surprisingly competitive Paxton and Alistair's very excited father, carting with her team. The them maintained that Crowley cheated to win, he just told them they lacked imagination. Tracy stepped up for Alistair with a culinary crawl across London, with Anathema, Mary, Harriet and his mother trying all manner of new gastronomic delights, which, being Tracy, meant a fair few of them were not suitable for discussion in polite company. She assured Alistair that he would thank her later. He didn't, but both Crowley and Newt did. After a quick nip down to the local registry office, they were married at the end of the summer in a simple affair under the apple tree in the garden of their house in Sussex. Paxton walked Crowley down the aisle between the chairs and never admitted to the tears that were definitely gracing his cheek during the vows. Dog carried the rings and got his treat this time. Alistair's parents supplied cider and apple juice, Oswald provided the suits and a photographer on the promise that he could use a couple of shots for marketing purposes, Whitney provided the song for the first dance and Crowley cackled at all the eye rolls. 
At the distinctive sound of jet engines on the horizon, Crowley carefully put down his bit of cake. He knew that sound anywhere and, sure enough, a few moments later half the party ducked as four Eurofighter typhoons were screaming past overhead before splitting off to perform a couple of manoeuvres that they definitely weren't supposed to do, then coming together for one last pass. Crowley stood tall with a huge grin and saluted as his old squadron mates buzzed low enough for him to see their faces. But being as he was no longer active, he used just the one finger. Pepper and Paxton were watching on, looking decidedly smug. Apparently they'd spent the week prior warning the whole village they were coming and were feeling exceptionally pleased with themselves. Unfortunately, Alistair had apparently not been amongst those warned. Crowley delighted in licking the icing off his nose. Towards the end of the night, the two new husbands stole away with their champagne and went to sit on Eric's bench. Alistair tucked himself into his usual spot, pressed up against Crowley's side, his long arm around Alistair's shoulders, and they sat for a while, just listening to the sound of nature all around them, taking it all in. Was it Bert then? Crowley asked eventually. Really going for it. Alistair cocked his head to listen for a moment. A nightingale, dearest, he concluded as he took a sip of his champagne. You know, I suppose I have to be grateful to Gabriel, really, he said as they looked out over the valley. <laughs> was Crowley's response to that name. He was still angry that he and the no longer Lord Beelzebub had managed to get their sentences shortened for good behaviour, but that's what comes of having political allies, he supposed. At least Huster was in a place where that was never an option. Well, I do, husband dearest. If it wasn't for him... We never would have met. Yeah, all right. Crowley grumbled into his champagne flute as he hid the fluster from being called husband. Spose. It's all worked out for the best, though. Just imagine how awful it might have been if you'd been at all professional about your rules. Alistair bit back his grin. Crowley immediately thought of several ways in which he didn't stand a chance against Alistair's determination and had been doomed from the start. Uh, point taken. Well, my love, you have saved my life and given me the world. Thank you, Alistair said. Crowley looked at him, fighting back the impulse to reject the gratitude. In that case, Angel, to the world, Crowley said, holding up his champagne flute for a toast. Alistair looked up at him, 
face all soft focus and so blissfully happy he seemed to be glowing and chinked their glasses together. To the world. The end.